This podcast is a project of the Mass Cultural Council. We believe in the power of culture, the arts, humanities, and sciences to enrich communities, advance equity, and foster creativity. We have to understand as artists that there's uh, an audience, and I think that's a challenge for a lot of visual artists in the beginning. Hi, I'm Anita Walker at the Mass Cultural Council, and welcome to Creative Minds Out Loud. Our guest today is Kate Gilbert. She is Executive Director of Now and There, and welcome to our program. Thanks, Anita. It's a pleasure to be here. We are going to talk about a topic that is extremely popular. People in communities across the Commonwealth of Massachusetts frequently ask us about it, and that's the topic of public art, whether we're talking about the murals and Lynn and Worcester, uh, to the efforts here in the city of Boston to uh, bring vibrancy and life and put the art outside where people can accidentally bump into it on purpose. Uh, So that's kind of where you're sitting with now and there. Absolutely. It's about creating that joy and wonder in our public spaces um, and also reflecting the faces of who we are as Bostonians today. And the best way to do that right now is outside You know, it's interesting because um, uh, the idea that you don't have to buy a ticket Mm -hmm. to experience great art, that's really what public art is all about. Its first name is public, right? Exactly. And you're the public and I'm the public and the artist who made it is the public. And what we're trying to do in our work is not only expand the outreach um, of contemporary public art, but also let people understand that they are part of shaping our city through the visuals, through, you know, all of our work has a bit of a public message to it, a little bit of a a tooth. And we're trying to encourage people to get active in their community as well as, um, you know, locally as well as nationally. So if you say public art in Boston to a lot of people, what leaps to mind is dead guys on horses. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Are you trying to change that? Absolutely. (laughs) And that's the reason that we're doing temporary work. So all of our projects are temporary. They're all in the city of Boston. Boston needs this right now. Cambridge and Somerville are way ahead of us. And and we do, when we look around, we see a lot of beautiful statues, but they are mostly dead white men on horses. Um, so we're doing murals. We're doing interactive artwork. We're doing sculpture that you can sit on. Um, for instance, Liz Glynn's public, uh, sorry, open house, um, which was out in Kenmore Square last year. Um, the work is supposed to be engaged with. We are supposed to move it, it, touch it. Yes. (laughs) We're not looking up at it. If we are, there's a reason. (laughs) Not because someone's looking down at us. Um, Yeah. Yeah. We're trying to we're trying to push the needle, trying to push towards cultural change in in the um, biggest possible possible way. So we like to think this is a podcast for nerds, kind of mm-hmm. a how to do it. And I have a feeling that we've got people listening saying, yeah, we've been trying to get public yeah. art in our city or yeah. town. It's really, yeah. really hard. There's so many obstacles. Talk about what you would consider like the three big obstacles to really making a program like this work and how you're solving them. Well, I think a lot of it comes down to people don't understand um, public art in the first place. And and there's a little bit of a fear involved. And if we put something out there, it's going not, people are not going to like it. People are going to um, get hurt on it. So it starts first with a sort of cultural shift. And that is happening in Boston, where we are saying yes um, to uh, temporary as a way to try something out, innovate. Um, and, and with that, we're shaping the way that permits happen. So yes, the hardest things right now still are fundraising and permits and finding an artist who can, we, we call it the unicorn, who can both make a beautiful, ex, 
aesthetic work that also um, is accessible and relates to the community or the context that it's in. Uh, we like to talk about the three pillars of our um, of our work as 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 passion, curation, and presence. So passion is building that understanding of public art that creates sort of the demand for more. Curation is about finding those artists, those unicorns who can make work that stands up in the public. You know, it goes through seasons of <laughs> Boston, Boston winters and Boston springs, which are you know pretty rainy. And, and also make work that is, is accessible. Um, I think in the past, we've seen a lot of works that um, go out and need sort of the decoder ring to understand what it's about, especially mm-hmm. when we're talking about contemporary. And so with that, um, by putting those works in highly visible locations, um, we start to build this demand for more that eventually sort of wears down the challenges that people face today of it's hard to get a permit, we don't have enough fundraising. So with our work, we're really trying to demonstrate um, that public art isn't scary, um, and it's for all of us. What role does the public play in co-authorship? In before the yeah. the pieces conceived or even built or made, is there a role for the public? Absolutely, as beyond the recipient and yes. the audience. Yes, yes. One of the programs that we started recently is a public art accelerator. So we take um, artists from greater Boston through this six-month curriculum. It's really fast. (laughs) Um, um, And we make sure that they are um, working in a neighborhood or with a community group. And it can also be just a, a, a... um, a park steward, for instance, so that the work isn't just sort of dropping down into um, a space. So the public's role is to go out there and demand this art, um, to meet with artists. I often talk with, I, I get a lot of calls from, you know, there's a, someone in Fields Corner and a Main Streets, and they're saying, we want more art. Where do we find artists? They're right. I mean, you know this, right? They're everywhere. We are everywhere. So it does take the public you know, doing a little bit of uh, of work and maybe just sort of stepping outside of your little boundary or your little box and saying, "Are you an artist?" <laughs> but it it it's a conversation that 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 sort of germinates and and creates this work. Talk about a piece of public art that you've been involved with that you think is particularly successful and and how do you define success? How do you know? <laughs> That's a million dollar question. Um, you know, how do you how do you measure impact um, is something that we're always trying to figure out. We don't have public art isn't in a wall. It's you know for for these reasons that we started the conversation. It's free and it's accessible, but I can't stand there with a clipboard and count how many people come through. I think the most successful projects um, touch people's lives, and um, I can't always tell um, how that what what changes happen but we hear it through stories storytelling is a really great way to find um, find out impact I think uh, one of our most successful projects is still one of the first projects we did which was public trust um, with Paul Ramirez Jonas we asked the general public to come and give a promise at a table one-on-one with local artists with 13 local performers who worked under Paul to make this happen And those promises were put in context with promises taken that day from the headline news. This was during the presidential election. We had some pretty audacious uh, promises. (laughs) Such Um, as? Oh, Trump promises, you know, whatever. (laughs) (laughs) My promise was to uh, love as hard as I work. Uh, My husband at the time was like, are you going to be home? (laughs) Because this was a really (laughs) big project. Um, And at the time, um, um, Trump was promising to stand by Cuba. And a manufacturer was promising 
trying to end soggy tea bags with a spray. So you can imagine the different sort of headlines that were happening that time. The, um, the resulting work was a contract that you could take home, um, as well as this billboard. Um, and it was in three spaces. It was in Dudley Square first, and then it was in Kenmore Square, and then in Copley, um, each for seven days. And this billboard was showing promises changing every seven to eight minutes as the public was putting them up. The end is a book where 997 promises live, um, the sort of fourth transcription uh, of this work, first, at the con- first with the contract, then at the wall, then on Instagram, and then in this book. And if we look across, the promises are very similar from one to the, to the other. So um, the promise to be a better mom came up frequently. When I saw it happen in Dudley, it was with a young teen who was um, um, pregnant with her second child and the first had been taken away. When I saw this happen in Copley, it was a woman with many shopping bags sort of running hurriedly across. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I don't know what her life was like, but they're both moms and they're both promising to be better moms. The story you told um, is really a great story because it really sort of, I think, expands the dimensions of what people think yeah. about public art as not just a static thing mm-hmm. and um, even expanding the notion of, well, public art is always visual art in turn. As, as an installation. Mm-hmm. I, I think the best public art needs to be visual um, and needs to be something that you recognize. Um, so that's why Liz Glynn's open house, which was 23 pieces of cast concrete furniture in Louis XIV style, um, was so successful because you could walk up to it and you knew exactly what to do with it. You sit on it, right? Or you lie on it. I saw kids doing homework, lying down on the couches. But then you can kind of go into the next level. And in that case, Liz was talking about the, the possible second guilt of age coming, economic inequality, you know, housing. It was all packed in the work. And that is, I think, the most successful um, public art and also any kind of other creative form that is trying to disrupt um, how we how we sort of walk through and see the world. I want to talk a little bit about the artist's perspective. Yeah. Share with us a little bit about your curriculum, the six-month boot yeah. camp to be yeah. a public art public artist. Well, we go through the basics of how to do your taxes and not just file, you know, throw your receipts in a shoebox. Um, but we do go into into permits, and um, we we start to talk a lot about empathy. Um, you have to understand that the person on the other side of the table is just trying to make sure that there isn't a fire, you know, <laughs> that there isn't, a, you know, public uh, catastrophe. Um, and that empathy runs through into um, how the work um, is created in context with either the site or the community that's part of. Um, we also bring in curators to get outside perspectives because a lot of artists, um, you know, I myself as a trained painter started in a tiny little room by myself and got really used to just listening to myself or, you know, the radio. Um, we have to understand as artists that there's uh, an audience. And I think that's a challenge for a lot of visual artists in the beginning and that the work might not be interpreted the way you want it. So we, we do a lot of work with the accelerator artists on, on messaging and trying to figure out what the content of the work is first. And oftentimes that's sort of the end result, of, especially for a very process-oriented artist. They kind of get to the end and go, oh, right, it's about green. You know? <laughs> and in this case, we have to push them through this six-month curriculum where, they learning, where they're learning permits and budgeting and insurance and all that great stuff, plus knowing what you're going to do first before you fabricate. So you're an artist. Yes. What uh, 
made you decide to step out of your own studio and uh, help other artists yeah. turn the world into a studio? Well, uh, you know, I, I was looking around. I, I almost left Boston. I have to put that on the table. I almost left. I've been here for over 22 years, and uh, my husband and I were about to move to New York City. And when I looked around at what Boston has to offer, and um, it's very small but strong connected art scene and the greater Boston um, um, experience as well. I realized that um, it was time for me to step up, um, that everything I wanted in New York was sort of already there but could happen here in greater Boston. And I, I really enjoyed getting to, to know people and meet people. I had spent about four or five years at the Greenway Conservancy in the infancy, so I helped open up um, the park in 2008. And what I enjoyed so much about that job was just being outside and meeting all kinds of strange, unique, interesting people. And and I found studio work to be just not that um, satisfying anymore. So yeah, I decided to put my shoulder to this wheel. <laughs> you know, we are, we are trying to make Boston a public art city. Um, it can be and it deserves to be. And uh, yeah, eventually I'll get back to, you know, being a hermit in the studio. Perhaps, perhaps. So looking in your crystal ball yeah. five years from now, mm -hmm. um, what will we see in Boston? Oh, we're going to see public art everywhere. Uh, temporary public art. I think there will be more permanent work. I think uh, the more that we see temporary examples of projection, uh, social practice work, murals, sculpture, um, will begin to create an identity for Boston in our public art. You know, Chicago's big plaza scale work, um, uh, Philadelphia's murals, Boston can be fill in the blank. I, I don't know yet, but I think it's going to be very in innovative. And so that it'll, you know, I, I like to say it'll be littered with public art. <laughs> I hope that's okay with everyone. <laughs> oh, Kate Gilbert uh, from Now and There, working on public art right here in Boston and another one of our creative minds out loud. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. To learn more about this episode and to subscribe, visit Creative Minds Out Loud dot org.